Alright, what's up everybody? Today we're going to go over injury and not so much injury prevention like I've talked about in the past, but more of like what do I do when I do have an injury and how do I kind of mitigate some of the pain or some of the sensitivity um, and what are some of the work throughs and the workarounds that we can go about and I'm not going to give you the very typical answer that maybe your doctor would give you, which is take one or two months off, take some Advil every time the pain and then wait for the pain to subside. We're going to skip all that today. We're going to focus more on what can we do to continue our training and continue progressing forward even though we're still dealing with some pain or some injury um, that maybe is preventing us from doing certain types of movements, right? Um, and just to kind of give you guys a little bit of backstory and kind of how FL actually even developed into kind of the program that it is, is I went through some serious injuries in my early 20s that gave me a lot of setbacks on my training. Um and a lot of, I mean, there's so many things, there's so much context, obviously, everything that we're going to talk about today, but there's so many things that go into what causes an injury, right? From, you know, overtraining to improper mechanics to bad kind of foundational stuff, such as maybe bad sleep or poor nutrition. Um, and all these things eventually start piling up. So like when you look at what causes an injury, those are the things and tools that you need to look at other people in order to prevent an injury for yourself. I, like I said earlier, I'm going to talk about if you are dealing with some level of pain or an injury of some sort, what are the things that we should be doing to continually keep the ball moving forward so we're not taking time off of training, um, but we're also mitigating the pain. But more importantly, and the most important thing is making sure that we're actually allowing the injury to recover for itself, right? So I just kind of wrote down, jot down some things for today. Number one for me is movement. Uh, this is obviously kind of sounds like a very simple thing to talk about, but it's the most important thing um, because I think what most people do backwards, just to kind of give you two things that I think have always been backwards, is number one, like completely resting and just recovering like a doctor would tell me. You're like, hey, you just just take time off. Don't train at all. Just don't move much. Just really let the pain and the, let the injury recover. And don't get me wrong. There is certain injuries that obviously that will be always part of the protocol. Um, and for almost all injuries, there's going to be some level of rest and recovery that's needed. Um, but movement, the reason why it's so important is we got to remember that the way that the human body works, when we think about the cardiovascular system and we think about the lymphatic system, um, you know, and I've mentioned this a few times in the past, the lymphatic system does not have a heart like the, you know, like the cardiovascular system does. The heart is what's pumping everything around the body. So this is what allows blood and nutrients to move around the lymphatic system the pump is the body, the pump is the muscle, right? So in order to get lymphatic, which is the thing that pretty much is like the recycling system for the body to get all this waste product out, the movement is the thing that actually allows us to get that to get out, okay? So when you think about movement and you think about injury recovery and being able to kind of recover from pain or subside pain even, the best thing you can do is just continually move. Now that kind of leads me into the next little jot down, which is most important is making sure that we're doing pain-free movement, right? Um, I currently and still and been doing this for probably 11 years now or 10 years now, I've been dealing with a lower back injury. Um, I've had an injury probably about eight years ago that was a right knee injury. I have shoulder injuries that I've kind of been on and off since sports my entire life. So I definitely deal with things constantly. And one of the things I always like to remind people, it's kind of like when clients just sign up at the gym. Um, is like, am I ever not going to be sore? And I'm like, eh, you're maybe going to be not as sore as you are in the very beginning of your training protocol, but soreness is something you kind of always deal with. Um, and for those that have injuries or those that have pain or obviously those that are probably listening to today's podcast, 
you know that it's something that you unfortunately are almost always dealing with to a certain extent. You definitely can get rid of a lot of this. You definitely can mitigate a lot of this. Um, but it's something you kind of always just have to be aware of, right? And the one thing that the human body unfortunately is really good at is it's really good at remembering fear and trauma, right? And getting rid of fear and trauma is not easy, right? And when you think about an injury, um, your body builds this fear around an area, a specific joint, a specific muscle. And what that causes the body to do is it's a compensation pattern that's going to basically make everything around that area um, a little bit stiffer, right? And the reason why it's going to make things stiffer is because the human body is designed to protect you. The human body is designed to survive. It's designed to adapt. So it's it's kind of it's, its first compensation pattern it's going to go through. It's going to say, okay, well, if we are scared of this or we do have, you know, pain that we've had in the past or fear around this area or trauma around this area, um, you're going to see those areas become very stiff. And I saw this when I was working in physical therapy in a clinic as an assistant. Um, I see this as a coach still to today. You know, I have a, a client here. I'm not going to use her name, but like she was in a bad car accident two years ago and her back, a lot of the mobility stuff that she feels when I give her stability or I give her things that give her more of a sense of security, she moves really, really well. Um, but she thinks she doesn't, right? And a lot of times when we take that stability out away, she becomes tight again, right? So you have to remember when you're looking at movement, when we're looking at pain-free movement, we want to find things that are super easy to do that don't cause any irritation, right? And so just to kind of give you guys something to always come back to today, I'm going to use my lower back, right? So with my lower back, my chiropractor, shout out to just, uh, Dr. Justin Prink here on this one. He is the man for this. And now the knees over toes guy has kind of taken some of the shine away from this. But he used to give me backward walking, right? He would say every time you go to the gym on a treadmill or you're going on a hike or you're going up a hill or you're doing sled work at the gym, I want you to walk backwards, right? Because it's something that doesn't cause you any pain. That's actually going to help open up the hips, open up the knees, open up the lower back. Um, and that's actually something that's going to help bulletproof what we're dealing with. But more importantly, it's going to do give you something to do without causing any pain, right? I think walking is the most underrated health tool and exercise tool in the world when it comes to fat loss, when it comes to injury prevention, when it comes to stress management, when it comes to a lot of things that most people focus on in the gym, walking is a great thing, right? So when it comes to dealing with your injury of whatever joint or muscle that you're dealing with, look at things that you can do, right? So focus on pain-free movement. Find something like going on walks or doing different body types, or I'm sorry, um, body parts, right? So if my shoulder hurts, but I can't really push, right? Like I'm dealing kind of with a shoulder, uh, snowboarding injury that I had a couple months ago. It's still to this day, eight weeks later, there's some pain when I do pushing motions in a horizontal plane. Vertically, I don't feel that. Pulling horizontally, I don't feel that. Pulling vertically, I don't feel that. So my shoulder still functions, just not really well without pain in one direction. So for now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to find every single workaround around that body part that I can that's still going to provide me the movement and still going to you know, allow me to train that muscle group. Um, but most importantly, making sure that I'm not in pain while I'm doing it, right? So for me, a lot of times, like instead of a chest press, I'm doing like a chest fly. Um, on shoulder days, it's not a big deal. I spend a little bit more time kind of just prepping and mobilizing. On pull days, it's not a problem. So I end up spending a lot more time doing those movements. Um, and as my shoulder, which it has been, is slowly been getting better and better and better, um, eventually I'll get back to horizontal pushing, right? So always think about that. With every injury you have, there's always something you still can be doing. Um, you know, with my lower back, some days back squatting is just, it's, 
not ideal for me, right? Like a barbell back squat just doesn't feel ideal most days um, or some days. I'm sorry. So I, sometimes I end up substituting for like a front squat or I do a goblet squat, right? Or I end up doing uh, double kettlebell deadlifts or like even sometimes good mornings don't hurt it, but a back squat does. Um, so I really have to pay attention to what are some of the modalities that I can still train that are specific to that area, but that are not causing any pain, right? So what I mean by that is when you look at specific patterns of motion, when we think about squatting, when we think about lunging, when we think about hinging, when we think about rotation, we think about push, we think about pull, we think about your gait. These are all patterns, right? So if I'm squatting and a back squat hurts, that doesn't mean I can't front squat, doesn't mean I can't a goblet squat, doesn't mean I can't do split squats. It doesn't mean I can't do legs. It doesn't mean I can't do different variations of squat. I just maybe need to shy away from that back squat or that specific modality for the day, but stick to the same pattern of motion, right? But that is what I really think is the most important thing. You know, if it hurts for me to do a horizontal pushing with a dumbbell and a barbell, but then I did a cable press and it doesn't hurt, okay, that's a different modality, but that's the same specific pattern of motion. So those are things that I really encourage you guys to think about is when you're dealing with these injuries, when you're dealing with this pain, play around with different variations because there's so many different tools and modalities inside the gym that we can use like body weight or dumbbell or kettlebell or barbell or cable or bands or suspension training. Um, these are all different things that you guys can use that you can really leverage, right? So always pay attention to movement is going to be the most important thing because we want to get things to kind of move around. But most importantly, like I said, is the pain-free movement. Don't do things that actually hurt, right? This whole pain or no gain thing when it comes to injuries is definitely stupid, um, but it's not something that's an excuse for you to kind of just completely take time off. We see this in the gym all the time. Like I deal this with uh, like billing with the gym. It's like, hey, you know, my back hurts. Like let's just freeze my membership for two months because I don't think I'm going to be really ready till then. Um, I don't want to say that's stupid to call anyone stupid, but it is to some certain extent not ideal, right? Like you want to continue to train. There's so many other benefits that you get from training that in so many other things that you can do with your training um, that still allow you to get closer to your goal. But maybe that one specific thing Maybe we take a break on. Maybe that one specific thing, we need to adjust a little bit, right? So um, next one I really want to talk about is really the consistency of training. This is something that when I think about injuries with people, we see this a lot when people start and stop their training. Um, injuries are really popular when people get right into something, when they jump too intensely into something, when they stop doing something. Um, so one of the big things that I always like to preach when it comes to injury prevention or just maybe pain mitigation for some of us is consistency of movement is your best friend. Taking time off, which is coming back to why you should be moving, um, is actually not going to be ideal for movement and recovery, right? We still want to have movement. We still want to have consistency in what we're doing. Um, and as always, like I'm going to say this a million times probably on today's podcast, like what is the workaround? But let's still stay consistent with what we're doing. Consistency is going to be your best friend when it comes to all things health, when it comes to all things in life, I think, honestly. Um, so looking at really over the macro that I'm not really going – super into something super intensely and then stopping and taking a lot of time off, right? So we see this with people that come back from winter breaks. We see this when people come from off season or on season. We see this sometimes when people come from back from vacations even, um, is the consistency of movement is going to be really the most important thing of the movement, right? Because that's really what's going to allow your body to continue to go through these normal ranges of motion that you have, or even explore new ranges of motion that maybe you don't have. Um, but being inconsistent is definitely a recipe for disaster on that. Um, next one I have is breath work. I think one of the things that we have to remember is when your body is injured or more importantly, your body is in pain, 
your body starts to kind of, you know, the autonomic nervous system starts to kind of switch over to more of a sympathetic state. It's kind of in the stress state, right? In the stress state, like we talk about with the sympathetic state, your body has no idea if it's pain or if it's overtraining or if it's lack of sleep or whatever it might be. Your body is in this stress state. And when your body tends to be in a sympathetic state, hormonally, the endocrine system is going to turn around and kind of what you're going to see all these stress hormones kick up. Um, you're going to see your body feel stiffer. Um, you're going to see that your body, you know, when your body is in this sympathetic state, your body actually is fueling muscle, right? But the problem is it's not fueling recovery, right? So even though being in a stress state, you would think would be an ideal situation to work out or to train, um, a lot of times when you're dealing with an injury, you have to remember that the reason why you got there is probably because you're already in the sympathetic state. And now that you're even in more pain, your body's even more elevated in the state. So really breath work is something that I always like to pay attention to when I'm doing like my cool down stretches or I'm doing even warm up stuff or I'm doing meditation in the morning or I'm kind of just doing, you know, some lightweight yoga by myself is I really try to focus on down regulating breath, controlling breath rate. And what this is the way that I always like to think about is I breathe into the pain, right? So if I have a lower back issue, if I'm sitting there in the morning doing my meditation or if I'm sitting there at the end doing my cool down stretch, I'll think about breathing into my lower back as much as I can with my inhale and then a nice slow deep exhale and kind of allowing my body. And I'm going through reps and cycles of this breath work um, because what you're allowing the body to do is you're telling the mind to let the muscle relax, right? Because when we let the muscle relax, that kind of stiffness um, kind of dissipates a little bit, right? Which allows you to move a little bit more pain-free. The reason why your body's becoming stiff is because it's trying to protect you, right? But if you're trying to do things to kind of mobilize or work around neighbor joints, which is my next one, um, you want to be able to have things that allow you to kind of relax a little bit more in some of these states. So breath work is always something that I encourage for people. Uh, but that kind of leads me right into the next one, which I was just talking about. Always work on neighbor joints, right? When it comes, and this is the neighbor rule, and I might even had a podcast on this earlier. The neighbor rule is something that I've used for probably the last eight years of my career, which is basically if you come to me with some level of pain, if you come to me and you say, hey, my knee hurts, I'm going to look at your ankle joint and your hip joint first. I'm not even going to look at the knee, right? Because most of the time, pain is a symptom, not the cause, right? And everyone forgets about this, right? Pain is a symptom, not a cause, right? So when you're looking at dealing with pain, when you're looking at dealing with an injury, remember that majority of the time, that is a symptom from something in the system being broken or not ideal, so if your neighboring joints, so let's use the knee for example, my knee hurts, if my ankle and my hip are super stiff and immobile, it's going to make the knee move and work a lot harder because it's making up for what's not happening there. If the ankles and the hips are not stable, right, or not, they're not doing their job, doesn't matter what the role is, the knee is always going to work harder, right? So this is kind of what we call the neighbor rule. So when it comes to fixing injuries, when it comes to preventing pain, you want to look at the neighboring joints being the things that you're addressing. So give you a prime example with me personally. Um, my back yesterday when I was doing deadlifts and box jumps was not 100%. I was still able to deadlift. I was still able to move a decent amount of weight. I was still able to do box jumps. I had to stay away from doing box jumps with really max height landing and back flexion and focus more on landing on the box with almost completely upright. Um, but what I did in between every set is I worked a little bit on my hips and I worked a little bit on my thoracic spine because the more mobility and range of motion that I gave the T-spine and the hips, the more freedom and less work the back has to do, right? And the reason why a lot of people have back injuries is because of that exact reason. But then when you look at the flip side of this scenario, right? 
when you think about the back more specifically, and this is why I always like to address joints, right, or look at kind of areas systematically, the, the core, the lower back being a part of that, is a stable joint. So if there's not enough stability and strength there, the hips and the T-spine will become tight. So that's something to think about is when you guys are working on neighboring joints and you're not really seeing the progress that you should, maybe come back to even a little bit deeper and go, okay, well, let's now pay attention to lower back and see, let's test some stability or focus more on strength. So if I'm doing something like side planks or bird dogs or curl ups or planks even, and I'm starting to build that strength and that pain starts to dissipate, that's a good thing, right? So always think about that when you're addressing pain, always look at the neighbor joints first, right? And understand every joint has a primary role. Some of them are deemed as more mobile joints and some of them are deemed as more stable joints. So a shoulder joint, a hip joint, a wrist, an ankle, and a thoracic spine, those are mobile joints. They're designed to move three-dimensionally. When you look at the arch of the foot or a knee or lower back or shoulder blades or elbows, they're dominantly more stable joints, right? So a stable joint is going to have two neighboring mobile joints. A mobile joint is going to have two neighboring stable joints. So think about that when you guys are looking, whatever the injury or the pain might be, what are the neighboring joints? What are the roles supposed to be? Um, and those are the things that we want to address on fixing, right? Because when the neighbors do their job really well, um, I don't know if anybody remembers this, this might age me a little bit, but this is always like one of those elementary games we used to play, Red Rover, whatever one would interlock elbows. Like think about it like chain links, right? And you would send somebody over and they would try to run through both of your arms. Like you got to think about the human body as only as strong as the weakest link in the chain, right? So when you look at injuries, that's majority of the time what we're dealing with is we're dealing with a weak link. Not a, You know, the whole system might function pretty well, but it doesn't function well together. Um, and you have to remember that the human body does work well together. So even though isolated, you might be really strong or really stable, really mobile in certain areas, you have to look at a global view of the entire system in the macro to say, okay, that is the weak link. Let's focus on priming and attracting some of those things, right? Okay, um, pay attention to daily position. This is something I'll probably do a post on on Instagram today. Uh, I think daily position is something that should be more important for people to focus on than their mobility training or their training period. Here's why. There's 168 hours in a week, okay? And let's assume maybe you guys are sleeping, I don't know, what do you think an average person sleeps at night now? So let's say uh, 45 to 60 hours a week, maybe if that being maybe in bed, maybe. I don't even need to get into that. Um, majority of your time outside of bed is spent sitting in a chair, working behind a desk, driving a car. Uh, it's not spent training, right? When you think about the average person and how many times they work out, most people work out three to five hours a week. That's it. So 168 hours in a week and you're only working out three or five hours a week. Doesn't matter how fancy this training program is and all the adjustments you made. It doesn't matter how cool your warm up or your cool down or your mobility protocol is. You have to look at daily position. How do you sit behind a desk, right? Maybe instead of sitting, we work in a half kneeling position every once in a while. Maybe we do some more standing desk. Maybe we lay down on our stomachs on the floor with kind of our, our spine in extension. Uh, maybe we sit crisscross applesauce. Maybe we sit with one leg spread out. Like changing the daily position and connecting back to the floor, I think is probably one of the best pieces of advice I can give everybody because most people that I talk to work behind a computer for 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And that's not including watching TV and that's not including driving a car. That's not including sitting down to eat your food. Um, so your daily movement is more important because that's the majority of your waking hours. Your training hours are a very, very small set, right? So generally most people are training an average of 2% of their entire time. 
is spent actually training, right? So you have to look at 2% versus 98% makes a big difference, right? Obviously minus sleep because you can't really control that position. Um, so always pay attention to daily position, right? The daily position is going to be the thing that's really going to predicate how well you move and more importantly, how well you feel. Um, so my biggest piece of advice, just like I talked about earlier, is play around with different positions working, um, taking walking breaks. So every time you eat a meal, take a 10-minute walk, right? Every hour or two hours at work, put an alarm, go take a walk, go move, do some squats, do some push-ups, do a yoga pose. Um, if you're on a Zoom call and you're not talking, you have the video off, like don't be afraid to stretch and move there. That daily stuff, if I were to give you guys anything to take away from today, focus on your daily movement and position the most, and I promise you majority of the shit that you're dealing with will dissipate or almost disappear. The reason why most of us struggle with these injuries is because we have a hardcore intense workout and then we go sit on our ass, right? And that is going to be a recipe for disaster 99 out of 100 times, right? So if you guys take away anything from today, take away that piece, right? Um, next one is inflammation and hydration, right? So inflammation, you got to remember when your body's in an inflamed state, um, it's it's fueling the inflammation, right? So what ends up happening is it's taking some of the nutrients out of the bone. It's taking some of the nutrients out of the tendons and muscles. Um, your body, when inflammation is high, and there's obviously tests for this to know if you're inflamed, uh, and I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, is going to be something that's going to take away, you know, the nutrients that your your tissue needs, right? Hydration being kind of the same thing. I dealt with this myself a lot because, you know, I'm an avid uh, red wine and a beer drinker. But we deal with this with athletes all the time. We see this sometimes when an athlete go wins a championship game and they go to practice the next week and they go tear a hamstring or they go injure themselves. And the reason why is their body's dehydrated from a night of drinking. Now, drinking is not the only thing that could dehydrate you, right? When you think about hydration, I'm not just talking about water. I'm talking about electrolytes too. How much sodium, how much potassium, how much magnesium. These are these electrically charged minerals that actually give your body the adequate hydration it needs. And that goes from everything from fueling gut to fueling the tendons and the minerals and everything else inside of the body from a hydration standpoint. So if your body's in a state of inflammation or your body's in a state of dehydration, um, I'm going to tell you right now, I can almost guarantee you're going to feel like crap. You're going to feel a little bit stiffer. You're going to feel like your joints are achy, right? Uh, if you've ever had a good night of drinking and you wake up and you feel like you're like 20 years older, <laughs> that's a perfect sign. I'm going to tell you right now that your body's in the state of a little bit of inflammation and definitely dehydrated, right? So when you think about inflammation, remember that a lot of that can be dietary. A lot of that can be lifestyle induced with sleep and recovery as well. But those are two things you definitely want to be paying attention to. Uh, and that kind of leads me right into this next one, which is sleep, right? And this is a very straightforward one. I don't need to go too deep in detail here. If you are not sleeping, you are not recovering. And if you are not getting good quality sleep with good deep and REM stages and the actual kind of restorative stages that we want to get in sleep, I can promise you right now you're not getting the recovery you need and your injuries will be prolonged and your pain will be elevated all the time. Um, and the last one that I want to talk about really is kind of a big piece, which we integrate here in functional lifestyles once every three months, which could even be more frequently. And I think it should be more frequent, um, but due to attendance, I'm not going to do that as a business move. Deload weeks, right? Have deload weeks built into your training protocol. If you're a runner, you're a biker, you're someone that does you know stuff in the gym, you're someone that does stuff with wrestling or jujitsu, it does not matter the modality of training that you're using, you need to have built-in deload weeks because training is a stress, right? When you stress your body out, it needs some level of recovery. 
And if your stress goes from an acute response to a chronic response, you're going to run into an injury. You're going to run into a wall. You're going to lack performance. You're going to leak performance even more importantly, right? So focus on always building in deload weeks. It can be once every four weeks. It can be once every three months. It can be once every six months, depending on the intensity, depending on the volume, and depending on the type of training that you're doing, right? And the last one, which your doctor will probably always tell you, which I did not want to skip over. I just did not want to put my focus around it. Rest. Do not be afraid to take days off, right? I think this is something that we see with the people that are obsessed with the gym. They think they need to be here five, six, seven times a week in order to see the results. And I'm telling you, after someone that's actually finally started taking time off over the last five years, because the first like, you know, eight years of my training, I was like, no, you just got to go. You got to go hard twice a day, seven days a week. Like you just got to always be training. You always got to be inputting stimulus. It's the farthest thing from the truth. Take time off, rest, recover. Your body will feel it. Your body will be grateful for those things. Okay. All right, guys. Well, that's it. If you guys have any questions, as always, feel free to shoot me a text, shoot me a DM, shoot us an email. As always, leave me a review. Share this with somebody that you think needs to hear this. We'll talk to you guys next week. Take care.